L. David Hessler here, altering the format of Bad Notes ever so slightly. Why? Because I want to thank you up front for listening to this podcast. This is a labor of love inspired by my own childhood as the son of a longtime drummer and the younger brother of an awesome guitar player. If you've made it this far, then you must really like this podcast. Thanks. You can show your support by going to patreon.com slash ldavidhessler or just leave a review on iTunes. Stick around and hear a special message at the end of this episode from our sponsor, Orb Industries. In 1996, after nearly two decades spent touring the American Midwest with his heavy metal band Starfed, cult guitar hero Orrin Moon disappeared without a trace. Despite dozens of distraught fans, the music industry barely noticed his absence. While law enforcement assumed Moon had simply fled the country or joined a religious commune, for nearly two more decades, the true story went untold. Then, in early 2016, a music journalist for National Independent Radio received an unmarked package that contained over 200 dated microcassettes with a handwritten letter that read, This is the story of Orrin Moon. He was an amazing musician, a loving father, and the best demon slayer the world never knew. Created by L. David Hessler. Part 6. appreciation for the things you love when they're set on fire. That's weird. I should start someplace else. The bass player, Alonzo Crane, didn't own the black school bus. We found out later he'd simply borrowed it from a friend. It was definitely an old school bus, though, because I could see the faded and ghostly edges of yellow beneath the paint. Faint lettering on the side said it had belonged to the Grundy County School District at some point. Now the whole exterior was covered in black. The windows were all tinted too. I realize now that there could have been an entire army of roadies in that bus when Alonzo ordered me and Mel to get out of my car. Not like he'd need them though. His arms were like pythons dangling from his shoulders, bulging and glistening in the waning sunlight. They were the arms of a true bass player, 
perfectly capable of wielding the subatomic axe and, and pounding out hours of thunderous riffs. It was hard to believe he'd played music with Orin Moon for over 20 years. What's happening? I asked Mel. She only shrugged and removed herself from the passenger seat, stepping out onto the pavement and putting her hands up like Alonzo had a gun pointed at us. Girl, he said, put your hands down. I'm not robbing you. Do you see a gun? Shit, just get away from the car. His short companion was a pale, middle-aged man with long, silver hair pulled into a loose ponytail. He was buff for an old dude. He stood beside Alonzo, arms at his side, his fists clenched, relaxed, clenched, relaxed. It was like his hands were breathing. I finally got out of the car, and even though Alonzo had just told Mel to put her hands down, I threw mine up like he'd demanded all the money in my wallet. He shook his head and approached me, guiding me away from the car and peering into the driver's side window. I don't know what he was looking for or what he was trying to assess inside the vehicle but he seemed content after a few moments. He nodded, then looked me square in the eyes. It was the first time I realized his eyes were different colors. The left was blue, the right was green. I'm going to burn your car, he said. So get everything you need out of it now. I, I stammered. I, I don't know what I said, but it pissed him off enough to make him slap a hand on the roof of the car and lean closer to me. We don't have time for bullshit, he said. Now get what you need and go stand by Mel. I glanced at her. She kept a few feet between herself and the quiet friend, who spun on one heel and went to the rear of the black bus. Alonzo put a hand on my shoulder. His voice was soft, but as deep and resonant as anything I'd ever heard at a live concert. We mean to help her, he said, gesturing with his eyes to indicate he was speaking about Mel. We promised her daddy we'd do it if anything ever happened. And it's happening, boy. I felt the same mesmerizing sensation as I had when he spoke to me at the funeral home. It was something about his eyes and the sound of his voice. Like, like warm honey being drizzled into my ear canal, settling deeper into my head, spreading through the nooks and crannies of whatever brain was left inside. At that very moment, it made sense. Everything he told me made perfect sense. I can't explain that shit. I grabbed as many CDs from the car as possible, along with an open bottle of water and the duffel bag we'd packed earlier. There were textbooks from a few night classes I'd taken last year stashed away in the trunk behind an empty beer carton. I decided they could burn. My degree wasn't going to happen anytime soon, so I had no use for a world lit book or a self-published manual about modern art. As I closed the trunk, Mel shrieked. Oh my God, she yelled, backing away from the quiet one. He had pulled what looked like two body bags out of the bus and dragged them across the pavement. He ignored Mel's reaction and continued toward my car. My horror was undermined by the curiosity of how a man his size could easily haul such large objects at once. What the hell is that? Mel asked. Alonzo, what are you doing? Relax, he sighed, pulling one of the bags to the driver's side while his friend took the other to the passenger's side. He unzipped the bag and revealed a pale young man with a trimmed red beard and a receding hairline. He appeared to be fully clothed. My stomach lurched. 
Don't lose your shit, Alonzo said, eyes darting between my own and Mel's. They're cadavers. We didn't kill them. They came to us this way. But, but why, I asked. He lifted the dead body out of its bag and began stuffing it into the driver's seat like a child trying to force an action figure into a playset. On the other side of the car, the quiet one had taken a woman's dead body out of the bag and was trying to put her into the car as well. Mel and I slowly sidestepped closer to each other until we actually held hands. Alonzo closed the driver's door, wiped beads of sweat from his brow, and whistled like a man who just finished a long day's work. We're going to burn the car, he said, catching his breath in uneven gasps. He may have looked strong, but his age was beginning to catch up to him. We're going to burn the car to make people think you're dead. So we need bodies in the car. The quiet one slammed the passenger door shut and gave Alonzo the thumbs up. Now, Alonzo said. He spoke softly, slowly. All we need is a little bit of your blood. Any other name, crackling into your rock as it 
Are you left-handed or right-handed? Alonso stared at me, waiting for an answer. He held my right wrist with one hand, and his other was the biggest hunting knife I'd ever seen. Mel stuttered, trying to stop him from doing whatever it was he wanted to do to me. Left or right, he asked. Do you play music? Draw? Paint? I need to know. No, I said. I'm right-handed. I use my right. He grabbed my left wrist and slid the blade across the palm of my hand, drawing blood and shaking my arm. Crimson specks painted the exterior of the driver's side door and the poor cadaver's face. My stomach retched again when I saw the blood had made it into the corpse's beard. He gave me a roll of bandages, then went to Mel. Don't touch her, man, I said. It was the least intimidating thing I'd said in years. Mostly because tears were still streaming down my cheeks as I tried to wrap the wound on my hand. I know you play, he said. Which hand do you use? She snarled and said she'd kick his ass. He smiled and said she probably could. Just tell me which hand you use. The blood's going to keep them occupied. Who, she asked. The ones who took your dad, he said. She tried to remind him that her dad was dead. Alonzo just chuckled and glanced at me. You think he's dead? I'm pretty sure you both saw the thing that was in the coffin. The thing that got out of the coffin, right? That's not Orin Moon, and you both know it. That's a trick, Mel. They want you, and I promised your dad I'd protect you. She glared at him, silent and still defiant as hell. I don't have time to tell you exactly what they are, Mel. They're animals. Not of this world, and they're coming for you, and they're probably 30 minutes away, 40 max. So we still have time to get ahead of them. Now which hand do you use? I don't want to screw up your music. She considered his question. I can only imagine what she was thinking. All I know is that when Alonzo mentioned the thing in the coffin, I couldn't help but remember the way that grim monstrosity had peered at my apartment door like it was looking right through the wood and directly at Mel. Like it knew she was there. She sighed. I'm left-handed, but, but I play right-handed. He gripped her right wrist. You're sure? She nodded and he let the knife crawl across the palm of her hand. He dangled it over the passenger side door and window, shaking blood all over the side of my car like he was seasoning a giant pot roast. He gave her a bandage and made a stand by the bus. Then they set my car on fire. Right there where it slid to a stop. It was like going to another funeral, except this was for my own past experiences. Watching that car burn was like saying goodbye to all the baggage I'd accumulated before Mel and I got caught up in this shit. Dropping out of school, burning through jobs, destroying relationships. It all melted away with the synthetic interior of my 1985 Tercel. I had to stop watching when the flames enveloped the cadavers in the front seats. I started to puke on the side of the road, but Alonzo stopped me. He said it would screw up the whole blood thing they'd just done. I nodded like any of this still made sense, choked back a mouthful of half-eaten beef jerky, 
and managed to keep it down until we were inside the black bus. Then I barfed all over the quiet one. Thanks for listening to Bad Notes, written and produced by me, L. David Hessler. This week's mixtape guest is The Last Glacier, with the song Stones for a Glass House. You can find their music at thelastglacier.bandcamp.com or follow them on facebook.com slash thelastglacier. The Bad Notes intro music is by Ethan Meixel. Find his full catalog of music at ethanmeixel.com. The National Independent Radio Voice is provided by Adam Martins. Listen to the two of us make absurd superhero origin stories on the B-Mega podcast at megatoncitynews.com. And now, a safety tip from our sponsor, Orb Industries. Driving a car is dangerous business especially in this age of self-driving vehicles and spirit-guided mapping systems. When people say don't become another statistic, they mean don't die sloppily on the highway. The Orb Industries Division of Transportation Safety and Awareness reminds you to always use your turn signals, avoid conjuring spirits while on the road, and never let a zombie drive your car. They're already dead, so they have nothing to lose. Besides, most insurance companies only cover undead passengers, not drivers. Orb Industries, keeping you safe until it's time to die.